you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. Chris Voss here from the com. The Chris Voss Show. Com. Hey, we're coming here with another great podcast. We certainly appreciate you tuning in. Why do I say that at the top of every show? Because I certainly do. I mean, who wouldn't? For reals. Anyway, guys, thanks for being part of the Chris Voss Show family. Uh, remember, it's the family that loves you but doesn't judge you. Well, I should make sure it's in the merch department for that, huh? Uh, anyway, guys, uh, go to YouTube.com, Fortunes Chris Voss, to see the video version of this. You're going to always want to see it on video because it's free for an unlimited time time it's the latest technology that's just come out so we're excited to announce my new book is coming out it's called beacons of leadership inspiring lessons of success in business and innovation it's going to be coming out on october 5th 2021 and i'm really excited for you to get a chance to read this book it's filled with a multitude of my insightful stories lessons my life and experiences in leadership and character i give you some of the secrets from my ceo entrepreneur toolbox that i use to scale my business success innovate and build a multitude of companies i've been a ceo for uh, what is it like uh, 33 35 years now we talk about leadership the importance of leadership how to become a great leader and how anyone can become a great leader as well or order the book wherever fine books are sold we're talking about a brilliant author today she's written a new book called heartbreak a personal and scientific journey just came out on february 1st 20 22 by Florence Williams. She'll be on the show with us. Uh, in the meantime, as well, go to goodreads.com forward slash Chris Voss. See everything we're reading and reviewing over there. Go to all of our groups on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. Highly encourage you to check out the uh, super popular uh, LinkedIn newsletter that we have that's killing it over there. And uh, also our big 132,000 LinkedIn group as well. Uh, Florence Williams is a journalist, author, and podcaster. She's a contributing editor at Outside Magazine and a freelance writer for the New York Times, New York Times Magazine, National Geographic, The New York Review of Books, Slate, Mother Jones, and numerous other publications. She is also the writer and host of two Gracie Award-winning Audible original series, Breasts Unbound, and Three Day Effect, as well as Outside Magazine's Double X Factor podcast. Her speaking, uh, public speaking includes keynotes at Google, the Smithsonian, the Seattle Zoo, and Aspen Ideas Festival, and many other corporate and academic nonprofit venues. Welcome to the show, Florence. How are you? Hey, Chris. I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on today. There you go. It's wonderful to have you on as well. Uh, so give us your plugs uh, where people can find you on the interwebs. I'm sure my website's easy, florencewilliams.com. Links there to all my work and social accounts and everything else. There you go. So what motivated you to write this book? Oh, personal catastrophe. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, My 25-year marriage unexpectedly ended, was not my decision. Uh, I had been with the man who was my husband since I was 18 years old. I met met him (laughs) my first day in college. So um, I was devastated. 
I had never experienced heartbreak before. I had kind of dismissed it, you know, when my friends were going through it. It's kind of overdramatic. You know, it's like, <laughs> obviously this person wasn't right for you. Move on. What's the big deal? Wow. <laughs> and then what had happened to me, it just really knocked me out. I mean, my body freaked out. I started to wonder, you know, why there had been so much art about heartbreak, so many songs, so many poets, but so little science. I really wanted to understand what was happening to my brain and my body, why I felt so bad, why I was getting sick. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I wanted to write about it. There you go. The scientific thing. I think everyone goes through heartbreak. And like you say, it's kind of the human uh, experience because we, we, whether it's uh, so any kind of loss, a death, a, a love, uh, you know, all sorts of different things. You know, I, I think loss is unfortunately one of the experiences of life, I guess. It really is. It's a universal experience. But when you're going through it, it feels very singular. Mm-hmm. It feels very lonely. And among all of my close friends who were also long married, nobody was divorced. I just felt like, what, what, you know, what, what just happened? Who am I now? What do I do? I felt really existentially freaked out mm-hmm. and my immune system, you know, got implicated in this. And that's mm-hmm. what really kind of launched my investigation. Like what is going on in my white blood cells? How can I get better? So did you go through the normal stages of grief and somewhere in there, did you decide to say, Hey, I mean, as long as I'm going through this, let's take a scientific journey on it uh, to, to try and give yourself a purpose to maybe get through it or out of it. Or did it, did it kind of just organically come together? Yeah, I would say for me, it was definitely kind of a coping mechanism, you know, mm-hmm. to put my science journalist hat on and go visit some scientists, go visit their labs, <laughs> go check out the mice and the voles who were going through a little, you know, rodent heartbreak. Um <laughs> <laughs> little vol divorce. Going you take on. away my cheese. That exactly. I wrote a heartbreak too. Exactly. Um, you know, scientists are studying these other animals um, to try to gain some insights into what's what's happening in the human brain. Wow. And I thought, you know, that would provide a little bit of distance for me emotionally. And it was also, you know, it got me out of bed in the morning. It got me talking to people who I have to say were fantastic. I mean, these scientists, the first thing they tell you is, oh, I was heartbroken too. Let me tell you what happened to me. And, um, you know, that really humanized them as characters in the book. It made me feel sort of validated and better. Uh, And, you know, little by little, it also gave me some clues about interventions, things I Mm -hmm. could try to make, make myself feel better. Yeah. And, and that's quite the hard experience of where you're coming from 18. You probably didn't have a lot of breakups. You probably didn't date a lot, but in those early right. years, so nothing, you don't yeah. have anything to fall back on as a, as an experience level. And, and yeah, yeah that, that's really tough. I mean, I, I think my closest breakup was a business partner is my best friend for 22 years. And, wow. and, and, uh, well, we were business partners for 12 years, best friend for 22 years. And that was, wow. that was hard. It was like that's losing hard. a limb. And, uh, but yeah, people go through loss. So you go through a whole lot of, uh, scientific journeys in the book. Tell us about some of them and, and, uh, and what you went through. Yeah. I mean, one of the early conversations I had was with an immunogeneticist at UCLA and, uh, he's kind of made it his life's work to study the gene expression of people who consider themselves lonely 
of which, by the way, there are many, many. Uh, we're living sort of an epidemic of loneliness. A lot of people say that they feel lonely. They don't have a lot of close contacts they can fall back on if they're in trouble. And the amazing thing is their immune systems really register this sense of vulnerability. Hmm. So we know that they have a 23% increased risk of dying early. We know that they have increased risk of dementia, increased risk of heart disease, metabolic disease, um, just on and on. And so this, this, uh, psychol- this researcher, uh, immunogeneticist, Steve Cole, wanted to actually look at the genetic markers in our immune systems, find out why, like, you know, what was actually going on in those molecules. And what he found is that people who consider themselves lonely actually upregulate genes for inflammation. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're putting out more inflammation. And the reason for this is kind of interesting. I mean, he speculates that it's because when we feel lonely, or when we feel rejected in love, um, you know, our bodies don't really make the distinction between that and being literally left out alone on the savanna where you're circled by hyenas. And so your brain thinks alone, alone, alarm system, you know, this person is about to get it, maybe attacked by a predator, maybe attacked by somebody else, maybe, uh, you know, we'll get injured without people around her. Uh, let's put out some inflammation just to get ready for that, just in case. Ah, so the body amps up to, you know, maybe fight or flight sort of mode and, exactly. and uh, creates more stuff. The body thinks it's helping you out. Mm-hmm. Like putting out this inflammation. But the problem is if you stay feeling, you know, abandoned or lonely for, you know, weeks and months and years, then you're mm-hmm. just pumping out all this inflammation, which we know leads to chronic disease. Hmm. You know, I was hearing something recently that men and women deal with being lonely differently. Like men are very genetically or biologically nomadic. And so we can kind of turn off when we're not in relationships, but women are, are always, you know, they're because of their, well, our biology and, and genes and propagation of the species, they, they, they experience loneliness maybe a little differently than men where they can't turn off. You know, they still seek to, to fulfill, um, you know, their heart and, and, and pairing. And so I, I think more of a, like a social status sort of thing. Yeah. I think women are really relational and we do tend to wrap our identities up in our personal relationships. You know, we mm-hmm. feel like we're a wife and we're a mother, and this is a huge part of how society views us, how we see ourselves. Um, and when that falls away, it can be, you know, a big identity crisis, mm-hmm. but I will say that for men as well, you know, they may think they're sort of, you know, able to turn the other cheek to this. But we know from the statistics that men who are divorced, who don't remarry, have much worse health outcomes. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. So they especially get sick. They especially die younger mm-hmm. um, if they stay single. Wow. And I wonder, is is that maybe because... Well, women do have a, 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 they're tougher than us and, and they not, well, than me, I should say. Um, but, you know, they, w- women have, uh, uh, you know, guys, you guys are designed to, to carry on the species no matter what. And so we usually die early because we're just, uh, we're just, uh, I don't know, we're just weaker, basically, I, somehow in the <laughs> biology of it all. I'm not, clearly not a biologist. Um, <laughs> but uh, is it maybe because the women usually spend the more time with the kids when they separate uh maybe is that because they still have a social thing there with the kids i mean definitely women seem to turn to their friends 
um, they do this thing that psychologists sometimes call tend and befriend Mm -hmm. where they will really support each other. So Mm -hmm. that's helpful emotionally. But I think honestly, at least in the way um, men and women have existed in traditional marriages, um, you know, typically the wife does a lot of caretaking Mm -hmm. and, you know, the dude is kind of not so smart about eating square meals and maintaining social contacts and going to the doctor if he's not feeling well, you know, it's the wife often that sort of takes on this role of taking care of everybody. And, and when she's gone, you know, he sometimes does not do so well. That's true. That's true. Moms, we couldn't live without moms. Um, the uh, so you go through a lot of different uh, like therapies and stuff. Tell us about some of the stuff you did there. Yeah, well, um, one of the first people I spoke to said, "Yeah, we know that divorced people end up having these poor health outcomes, mm-hmm. but some people really do better than others." And mm-hmm. she said, "What we have found are that is that there are certain personality traits that make people more resilient, and one of those is." openness, openness to new experience, especially openness to beauty, Mm. openness to awe, you know, Mm. experiencing new things, being curious. And I had never heard that before, you know, that beauty could be an antidote to heartbreak or an antidote to loneliness. And I thought, well, that's something I'm interested in. I know how to do. I already wrote a book about how great it is to be in nature, really Mm. good for your brain, good for your psyche, good for your body. So I was like, okay, I'm going to spend the next two years really trying to spend a lot of time in nature, in the woods, in wilderness, hiking, canoeing. So I, I, I did big nature. I was like, this is a big heartbreak. I need big nature. I went into the wilderness for 30 days in the desert in Utah. I ran this river, I canoed it, and I did two weeks completely alone in this wow. bid to kind of feel awe and work on that. Um, it, it partly helped, <laughs> but it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, the total heartbreak here. Um, sure. And then I, yeah, I had a great therapist. I also did a workshop for mm-hmm. divorcing people in a kind of therapy called EMDR, which mm. is supposed to be good for emotional trauma. And it's, it's where your sort of eyes move back and forth as you're recalling painful memories. This is supposed to help your brain kind of rewire, take some of the uh, like emotional storm out of your memories. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that was also somewhat helpful. Um, I went to a museum called the Museum of Broken Relationships. <laughs> There's a museum for it? There's a whole museum wow. full of heartbreak. And Does actually, it play that Journey was... songs the whole time? <laughs> well, it's in Croatia. So oh, okay. <laughs> it may play the Croatian version of that. Um, yeah, I mean, it was just helpful <laughs> to me to see how common an experience heartbreak is. You know, we don't mm-hmm. ritualize it. We don't really talk about it that much. And here was a whole museum devoted to people's stories where people like sent in these objects representing their relationships, representing their breakups. And, um, you know, that to me, that was actually really healing because it was like, okay, here's a way to talk about this, to universalize it, feel less lonely. Um, and then, you know, I also, I spent a lot of time with friends. I had some rebound flings, which the science, it turns out, says can be really helpful. I, I thought for mm. the most part that was helpful, but, you know, it's kind of a mixed bag, as you can imagine, dating at 50, like not so easy. Um, <laughs> no, it's and, 
<laughs> and then finally, I I um, actually worked with a, a therapist in a clinical setting to do some psychedelics, which there's yeah. also science behind as far as um, helping people deal with trauma, helping people be less afraid of their future um, and to feel this kind of big technicolor awe, which mm-hmm. I was really going for. Wow. I know there's some people, I, I, I don't know this for a fact, but I, I overheard some people recently talking about how, uh, I believe it was, uh, uh, I can't think of the gentleman off my, off the top of my head. Uh, one of them is, is the big atheist, Sam Harris. Oh, Sam, Sam Harris, Harris was yeah. talking with somebody and they were talking about how, I guess some people taking psychotropic drugs, uh, even people with addiction can sometimes overcome that with that, with those things. There's a lot of emerging research out of Johns Hopkins University. They have, um, you know, government funding and these are sort of official trials and, and they found a lot of success with people who are um, addicted to things like cigarettes mm-hmm. and other addictions. Yeah. And also PTSD. Mm. See a couple of my early breakups. I just went to vodka. I think that was the <laughs> traumatic thing, but I don't recommend I that did some actually. of that too. You know, I think that's um, so, so we do know from the science that people who are in the throes of heartbreak, they sometimes don't have as much um, uh, behavioral and emotional regulation. <laughs> you know, sometimes they, they, they're not as inhibited as we normally are in terms of making decisions and judgment. We do some dumb, dumb things. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just don't, just don't go overboard folks. That's all I'm saying. Um, you know, the, the, the thing I always hate about loss and, uh, you know, I've, I've lost two Huskies so far in my life that were like my children mm. and, and, you know, whether it's parents passing away or loved ones or breakups, uh, breakups don't matter. Don't, don't affect me too much anymore. But you know, when I was younger, they did, you know, it was like the whole world and you're like, I'm going to die alone. And, uh, you're like, you're 25, calm down, (laughs) calm down, like seriously. But, uh, um, you know, the, the stages of grief are the thing I hate the worst. Yeah. It's like, you know, when I, th- I have a loss, I'm just like, oh, God, we got to go through, oh, was it like eight <laughs> stages of grief? Yeah. I'm. You know, I mean, that, that whole theory has been a little bit debunked. I oh, mean, really? Because some people, I mean, grief looks different for everybody and mm-hmm. there's kind of a different order, but mm-hmm. but certainly that you, you hit the main, you know, stops on this train for sure, you know, which are shock right and sort of disbelief a certain amount of bargaining where you're like can't we work this out you know come back you know all that (laughs) it's very humiliating um and then uh you know there's there's uh the loneliness piece Mm -hmm. and um and then you know hopefully some measure of acceptance but I, i recently heard someone say that they thought the missing stage of grief that you don't hear about so much is anxiety And that one I really felt because as you say, you sort of fear for your future. It's like, am Mm -hmm. I going to die alone? Am I going to die alone? Is a predator about to jump on me now that my long life partner is no longer around? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I think the other thing that I hate the most is the unpacking of everything. It, It seems like, and I don't know if you have to do this, but it, where you go and revisit everything like it just yeah. it, it's like you it's almost like an unbundling or unpacking that you have to do of mentally moving things out of your mind and picking them up and then the torture sometimes you put yourself through of like well if only i'd done this or i'd done that or you know and i hate that it's just it's medieval torture chamber <laughs> stuff so much quarterbacking yeah. and it goes on and on and on. Yeah. I, I think, I think some people do that more than others. I know mm-hmm. I certainly did it a lot. Mm-hmm. 
you know, it's called rumination or you're like just going through these conversations over and over again. It's not very good for you. Although I think there's a way to kind of try to derive some lessons you mm-hmm. know, from that that can be helpful moving forward. Yeah. And, and sometimes, you know, the, the hard part sometimes, especially with like losses, the ghost parts that are left behind that remind you of stuff. So it's the leash that you find or, 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 you know, she, she's left some dishes in the house that you find and you're like, Oh, I thought we had these out of here. And, and you, you feel like you're moving on and you just total, total process. Did the MDA, did the MDMA, uh, work pretty good for you? Is it, was yeah, it, uh... I mean, it was surprisingly good for me. So uh, when I when I worked with this therapist in a clinical setting, we started with the MDMA, otherwise mm-hmm. known as ecstasy, and then uh, waited like thirty minutes, forty five minutes before doing the psilocybin, which mm. are the mushrooms. And the MDMA is supposed to work to kind of make the psychedelic experience less threatening. Like mm-hmm. it makes it seem safer, more benign because you really do lose control of your mind mm-hmm. under large doses of these substances. And that can be really frightening and destabilizing. Mm-hmm. So um, what they sometimes do is they'll start with this MDMA to kind of make it all seem like, oh, this is really cool. This is great. I'm, I'm not going to be freaked out by losing control. There you go. Uh, you even went under. You even went uh, under uh, electronic sh- electrical shocks. Tell us about that. That's quite extraordinary. That wasn't so. That wasn't supposed to be an intervention as much as it was this experiment um, to find out if I was still feeling threatened by the idea of my ex, you know, or mm. if I was starting to really get over him. And so what we did was um, we sort of measured my um, my nervous system, mm. um, specifically looking at what they call um, GSR, sort of um, galvanic skin response, or basically your sweat. Like how much are you sweating? How nervous are you? When I looked at a picture of my ex, a picture of my sort of support figure who was my dad, and then a picture of just a stranger, you know, from the internet. And turns out, yep, I actually still was quite like, quite uh, upset, you know, in this like deep way by looking at pictures of my ex. And this is even like a year after the split. So, so this is one of the reasons, you know, people tell you, you know, don't follow your ex on social media. (laughs) You know, don't necessarily, you know, hang out with them or answer their text messages. You know, it's, it, you really kind of need some boundaries and some separation if your nervous system is going to kind of recover and feel safe again. Yeah. And then, you know, I mean, you, so many people, when they break up, they're always getting back together. There's that yeah, there's period of that. time. And then you, you don't want that to drag out because you can't get healthy and what I call being clean. Uh, and be able to enter in a new relationship with somebody until you you've washed that out because if you drag that in then to the next relationship then you got a whole new problem um you know i'm 54 now i've dated all my life um it, the the one rule that you learn when you date is you don't date anybody until they've been broke up from a serious relationship for at least two years and if it was a long marriage or long relationship 10 plus years three years which means you know, people need a good two to three years on average, or I don't know if they need to, you're the professional of this now, uh, with your scientific journey. Um, but normally, I mean, my rule is three years, 
if I you if know, I find somebody like that, I'll just be like. I, I actually think time. you're really accurate. I mean, the mm-hmm. science seems to support that. Really. Um, on average, I'm a scientist. Like, <laughs> you just knew from your dating. You must have done a lot of dating. I've done a lot of dating. <laughs> um, yeah, they say that you know, in terms of measures of your health, you know, like your your cells and your and your immune system, um, that stuff does not get back to baseline mm-hmm. after a, a big breakup for mm-hmm. on average four years, which is not to say that you can't have relationships and fall in love again and, you know, have a lot of joy and happiness. But on average, our bodies seem to take about four years before mm-hmm. we kind of really get over it. Yeah. You've got to be able to clean all that out. And, and you know, like I think everyone's been on dates, both men and women, where they where they go out with somebody and the, the person starts telling them about, you know, my ex did, yeah. and then you're just like, Wow, you're 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 not over this one. Yeah, you need some more time there, bud. <laughs> exactly. I know yeah. I know that experience. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've all been there. We've all been there. So but this is cool. I, I like how that you put it in in this in this book uh, where it's a not only the human experience of it, but the scientific experience experience of it. So people can, you know, you, you can feel a little bit more what's the word I'm looking for? Empowered. Because yeah. you're you're like, hey man, we all go through this. We're all going to sit and listen to Journey songs and cry or whatever. And, uh, you know, don't stop believing only the lonely or something. Um, And uh, do I get a a royalty check for that? (laughs) Billy Holiday. Yeah, yeah, whatever the the, the songs are. But, uh, you know, we all go through that. We're all human. Uh, Let me ask you this. This is a question I had for you. You know, we're more in in our world today, more alone than ever, even sometimes – People that I know that are in relationships, married, and someone's in the house, they're yeah. more alone than ever. Social media, uh, you know, especially COVID, uh, the lockdowns. I mean, we, we've we had, I think I was reading on CNN or something that there's like 26% of the population hasn't had sex with anyone in the past year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we're really living in a lonely world. And it's even getting worse. I mean, we have the incels and uh, these younger generations that they're not really connecting with anybody. So uh, um, do, do you think that social media and stuff contributes to and, and kind of the distance that we have with each other where we don't really engage anymore? Except yeah, online. I think there are probably a lot of factors going on, but I, I, I do think social media probably has to play a role because if you look at the demographic who considers themselves the most lonely, mm-hmm. it is young people. Mm-hmm. It's people who are most on social media. It's people who haven't really necessarily learned as much about face-to-face interaction, about um, reading each other's emotions, about really connecting with people, um, you know, through sort of the emotional intelligence that you have to learn if you're actually, you know, on the playground with them every day. I mean, these kids today, and I'm a mom of teenagers, you know, they just don't hang out with each other the mm. way that we did. And, and certainly the pandemic has of course made that worse, you know, for so many kids. Um, I'm worried about them. Yeah. You know, I think that they will have a harder time, um, you know, learning just emotional intelligence and learning communication. Um, I, I worry about it. Yeah. I mean, dating was so much different when I was younger. I mean, you would, 
everyone would work out and then dress up and then go to a club or, you know, wherever, you know, when, when I was 16, I think it was cruising up and down state street. <laughs> That's how old I am. Um, but you would, you would meet a girl, you would see a girl. She would be the girl because, you know, she wouldn't have some sort of Instagram filter. You'd be right. like, Oh, I, I can see you as a human being. You are exactly who you say you are. And, uh, you know, you ask for a number, you take her out. Um, nowadays with, you know, and, and I think a lot of that gives rise to the hook of culture that we have with these Tinder apps, these dating apps. And, and of course, I mean, you, you, you see so many fake catfishing stuff and, yeah. you know, I mean, I've, I've been known to go on dates and, and jump out of my shoes when I, when the date <laughs> shows up and I'd be like, I don't know who you are, but that, that's not you. Like you're, you're like uh different. And, uh, so yeah, I don't know how these kids do, but definitely the loneliness and stuff can't be good and healthy for us or as a society where, you know, people aren't meeting and building families and contributing to, you know, the social aspect of that. Yeah, exactly. And, and so, you know, I think the solution has to be that, you know, we need these more authentic connections, mm -hmm. um, you know, to each other. But I also talk about, you know, we could really use some connection to our natural world as well. Like we're mm -hmm. cut off from that. We're cut off from our sense of ourselves, mm -hmm. you know, as, you know, the animals that we are. And, and we're trying to kind of often, I think, suppress our emotions or our needs or just distract ourselves with television, you know, or with Tinder or whatever. And, um, I, I think we've in some ways forgotten how to feel alive. Yeah. It's tragic. Yeah. I mean, we're just walking around like this all day going, what's in the phone? The, uh, and, and yeah, we need to see outside of our world. I think one of the other things that I see in a lot of my divorce friend, especially men, uh, you know, is they don't keep a social circle. I don't know about right. women so much. I think women keep better so social they circles. They do a better than job of it. Yeah. Yeah. Generally. And a, a lot of men, uh, that, that are my friends and the circle in and out of marriages, they really have a hard time because a lot of times they abandon their men friends. And it didn't used to be this way. And I, I've heard some different studies or data on this where men used to have, you know, we, we would have the bar back in the seventies or whatever, or the eighties. And, you know, we'd go down to the bar and have drinks or, or barbecues and shoot the thing with social media and everything else. And just everybody struggling to make a life, uh, probably with the dissolving in the middle class. Um, men don't have that so much anymore. And so, so they're really lost and they really have a hard time. And, uh, I don't know. It, it's something that I think people need to realize that if you're in a relationship, you, you need to keep your friends, you need to keep your social circles. And I think it's even healthier. And, and some governments are even really interested in this because they know that lonely people are going to require more health care. And so, really? for, for example, I, I visited the UK for my mm -hmm. book and I had an interview with the Minister of Loneliness. <laughs> Minister of Loneliness? And I had to go visit her because I thought this is like out of Harry Potter or something. Yeah. The Minister of Loneliness. And it turns out um, that they have really recognized this as a mm -hmm. serious health problem. And so they actually have developed a number of programs that they're funding, such as a men's shed. And there are a number of these now all over the country. I went to visit them. Um, it's a lot of old retired guys and they go in there. <laughs> some of them are married, some of them are widowed, some of them are alone, but, but they go in there and they, they work with power tools, you know, and they're making birdhouses and they're building whatever. 
And, um, you know, a lot, sometimes guys aren't so comfortable, you know, necessarily talking face to face, but they like working side by side, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's how they can find some belonging and some community and eventually some conversation. And so, um, these men's sheds, it's, 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 I think it's a really interesting program. Uh, and there are a number of these, not just men's sheds, but there are, you know, birding societies and walking groups and knitting circles. You know, they're like the government is now trying to sort of step in and create this community that we've lost. Yeah, it, it's it's really interesting to me how we've gotten really far away, and we from what we what we used to work really well with is a tribal society. You know, we right. formed tribes. We men would go out and do men's stuff together. Women would socialize and and do gatherer stuff, and men would go hunt, do hunter stuff. And that really works for us. And a lot of a lot of, even a lot of the married men that I I'm friends with, they really suffer from a loneliness, and they don't really get it until they hang out with other guys and like, oh hey, other dudes. And <laughs> hey, I, this is fun. Yeah, this is fun. We 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 can do stuff, and you know you and you need that balance. You know. I think one of the lessons of my book is that we actually really need to take loneliness more seriously Mm. and we need to take heartbreak more seriously because, Mm. you know, our health will be imperiled if we don't. And, um, you know, other people in our lives will feel isolated, you know, if we're separate from them. So, um, you know, take it seriously, Mm -hmm. do what you need to do to feel better, to get out there, um, to have these authentic connections, uh, and then to find some purpose, you know, Mm -hmm. and some meaning from your heartbreak that can help you move on and ideally can help others as well. There you go. Anything more you want to touch on or tease out on the book before we go? Um, you know, I think, I think we really covered a lot and I, Mm -hmm. I would just really encourage people also don't forget nature. Don't forget beauty. Don't forget Mm -hmm. art. And um, it's a surprising, unexpected heartbreak cure. Yeah. And in, in getting out in the world, too, uh, one of the things I always used to do when I was in California, whenever my problems would get so big and it was just a nightmare mess, uh, I would go down to the ocean and mm-hmm. sit on the beach and just listen to the lapping of the waves. Sometimes I go out to Avalon uh, and Catalina Island. But just sit on the beach. Sometimes I go out there at yeah. uh, at Avalon, like two or three in the morning. Uh, yeah, just go to your favorite beach. places. Yeah. Absolutely, go to the places that make you feel a little bit calmer, a little bit more grounded, and also remind you that you know your personal pain, your personal problems aren't the only thing in the world, <laughs> and that's really healthy to sometimes feel like a little speck of sand mm-hmm. <laughs> in the universe. Exactly. You went. You went right where I was going. The awe of it. You know, yeah. sitting and watching. Uh, you know, seeing the little sand uh, things come up on the uh, on the beach, and you listen to the waves, and you're like, these waves have been lapping here for eons of time. There's a million probably humans or billions of humans that have set foot on this beach, with the same stupid sand hill of problems and all that exactly. sort of good stuff. Exactly. And the awe of that, and just thinking about your place in the universe, or looking up the stars, and you you think about how big this universe is and how how you, silly your little pile of problems and i i would get i would get done after sitting at the beach for an hour or two walking through the sand i would get done and be like oh my problems aren't that bad exactly and then you sleep better (laughs) and all of a sudden it's better right once you get that vitamin d that you healthy need you get that fresh oxygen exercise little fresh air and you know one good other point to this for people that that go through this is you get out of your environment because your environment puts those ghosts in your head of everybody and drives you mad. So there you go. 
There you go. I think we figured yeah. it out. There you go. We got it down. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. We certainly appreciate it, Florence. Thank you very much. You bet. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Chris. There you go. And give us your plugs one more time before we go out so uh, people can look you up on the interwebs. Sure. It's FlorenceWilliams.com, and the book is Heartbreak, A Personal and Scientific Journey. There you guys go. It came out February 1st, 2022, so you can go ahead and order it up. Uh, go to all of our things on YouTube.com, forward Chris Voss, Goodreads.com, forward Chris Voss, all of our groups on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, all those different places. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe, and we'll see you guys next time.